Hello. This is Joya Italiano. This is Jeff Ekman. And welcome to Oh, That's a Thing, a podcast about the real science and sci-fi movies. Even if you haven't seen the movie, don't worry. We use the movies as jumping off points for some pretty awesome and real topics. That's right. We're not experts at all. We're actually just a couple of goons who Googled some stuff. But this stuff is pretty cool. Yeah, so sit back, relax, maybe learn a thing or two. Here we go. Here we go. Oof. Are you guys ready to go to Pluto? Which Pluto? <laughs> yeah. Nash. Pluto Nash. We watched that movie, guys. Do you even remember it? Probably not. You certainly don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's considered one of the worst movies of all time and maybe the biggest box office flop of all time. That's right. Let's take a listen to the trailer. In the blackness of space, there is a giant rock called the moon. And in the year 2087, its future will be in the hands of one man. <laughs> Eddie Murphy is Pluto Nash. Pluto. Pluto Nash. It is a pleasure to meet me. Come on, let's play. The battle between pretty evil and pretty good. Oh, yeah, look at that. Look at me. Begin. Oh, yeah. Eddie Murphy. A pleasure to meet you, Pluto. You married twins, huh? No, they're not twins. I, I met the perfect woman, and then I had a clone. <laughs> which one's which? Who cares? The Adventures of Pluto Nash. Whoa! Whoa! Why don't you take these Hillary's? We appreciate you helping us out. Oh, God. Oh, so, oh, man. A lot going on in that trailer. Fucking Hillary bucks. They ended that trailer with Hillary on dollar bills, and <laughs> they imagined it. In 2002, they had imagined that Hillary Clinton could potentially in be In 2002. Actually, this movie was made in 2000, and uh, then it sat on the shelf because they hated it so much for two years right. before they finally released it. Oh, God. But no, we also noticed that there's Trump realty on the moon yeah. in the movie. We were just like, oh, God. Totally. Ouch. Oh, my. There was a lot going on in this movie. As you could also hear the, like, insensitive, oh, yeah, yeah, I found the perfect woman and cloned her. Oh Who fucking God. cares what she's like? Blah, blah, blah. The so casual there's, like... misogyny of Eddie Murphy <laughs> in the era. I didn't know it as right. a kid. Oh, it's a thing. Wow. It's rough, man. So it's crazy to see that like the the movie had like a hundred million dollar budget. Yeah, it, and they only fucking grossed four point four one million. That's yeah. a loss of ninety five million dollars. That doesn't even count the marketing costs, which is estimated to be at least twenty million. Well, this fucking movie, guys. I had never even like heard of this movie. <laughs> just been talking about it forever, and then you watch it, and it's like a who's who of like famous. It's like Jane yeah. Moore. We got mm -hmm. Rosario Dawson. We got Joey Pants. Like, what are we? <laughs> I couldn't believe how terrible this movie was it was such a lost opportunity the lack of comedy in each like <laughs> he'll have like a long beat and then deliver what's supposed to be a joke but it's just like a straight line yeah it'll be like let's go and well, you're like wait he did he didn't have a punchy line there well i feel like okay so one thing is obviously guys we didn't go to pluto in this movie we go to the moon <laughs> it's just the you know protagonist's name is pluto mm -hmm. but anyway like it seems like this movie kind of comes on the heels of like men in black it's millennial as the fucking day is long yep and so i can appreciate that because that was a time where we're like whoa crazy gizmos and gadgets but they just stayed on this very surface level like didn't even try to have any real thought process there yeah i mean it, it, it's nominated for five golden raspberry awards including worst picture worst actor worst director worst screenplay and worst screen couple which is eddie murphy and himself cloned <laughs> <laughs> you guys hated each other we could tell yeah it was boy oh, what a no God. chemistry there what a 
from the writer show. of Hocus Pocus and the movie Mystery Men. Hocus Pocus is a delight, I know. and I will shout it from the highest rooftop. And it's a goddamn shame. Absolutely, and then it's also from the director of Tremors and City Slickers. How did it get so fucked up, dude? Oh man, I mean, it sounds like it was a disaster from the beginning. It like originated in the mid '80s was when the script went through right. a lot of changes, yeah. and then I mean, it sat on the shelf for two years. Right, it's ridiculous, but it does have one of the most awesome opening themes <laughs> oh, which God. i want to play right now it's the one saving grace guys yeah. buckle up take a listen to this <laughs> It's basically that, right? Right. And it's like, oh my God, oh, I love it so much. If your toes were not tapping just now, I don't... Then I don't want to see your face. I don't want to see, see your face. So one of the things in this movie is cloning. And I found this company called Viagen which is a for-profit company that clones animals, mostly horses and livestock, and they extend the reproductive life of an animal and they clone studs that are genetically identical to top-performing geldings, which is a castrated horse. Oh, okay. Horse terms I didn't know. And a stud is also a horse? A stud is another horse. Yeah, just put horse terms around it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, all right. Origins. But so the company has three major sections. There's Viagen Equine, Viagen Livestock, and Viagen Pets. Oh, shit. It's cloning your pets. It specializes in cloning dogs and cats. So from their website, it says, quote, a beloved pet is much like a family member. A truly special pet provides us with a unique sense of comfort and life-enriching fulfillment, which is nearly impossible to extend beyond your pet's natural lifespan until now. Oh, my God. I'm going to die. Wait. Okay. All right. What do you need? What do you need from it? There's a button on the website that says start genetic preservation. They'll send you a genetic preservation biopsy kit where you take a biopsy of your dog and then send it to them. Or cat or any animal. Or cat. It's really dogs and cats for them right now. They don't have any other animals right now. Right. Unless you wanted a horse or (laughs) or a livestock. And then there's a fucking button that says initiate cloning. And it says when you're ready to purchase pet cloning services, you could do it here. Oh my! Okay, so I'm having a personal inferno inside. As, as you like, reasonably should. Because, I, well, first of all, I'm thinking of myself, my you know little baby cat that I had and raised for 20 years before I had to put her down in college. Mm-hmm. I got a tattoo of her on my side, but mm-hmm. it's like I don't have any swabs. I had her ashes blown into a beautiful piece of glass, and I wore it around oh. my neck for a oh my while. Oh god, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. Was I was dealing with grief, man. Yeah, I, she raised me. But yeah, so you get it so that like when your old dog or your old cat dies, you get a new puppy or kitten that's identical genetically to your old dog. It looks the same. It'll probably act the same. And you'd raise it pretty much the same. The same as you did. And then it's the same dog. Wait, okay. So here's a big question was that, you know, because we've talked about before this like nature versus nurture. Like, well, who is you if it's just like some Mm -hmm. chemical lab stuff? But if you're raising the animal the same way that it was raised before, it's going to have the same personality, right? Exactly. Just don't fucking abuse it or have any weird neglect stuff. Right. Don't do anything different. And (sighs) it'll probably be, I mean, it'll be as though it's an identical twin. Right. 
and that how, shows up at the end of its life. How do you feel about that on a philosophical level? I kind of feel like pets are a great starter for, for pet, question, like training right? wheels for learning how to deal with death. Correct. Where it's like it's serious and you care about it, but it's not quite your parent dying right. or I mean have you have you lost an animal like that I, I have Girl. lost a pet she well, was 18 years old yeah you know and it's like I still think about her a lot well I think but your point I think is really fair in that yeah as a kid so I had this cat baby from the time that I was age two until I was 21 so mm. I had her like my entire life and mm. when I lost her luckily I haven't had any like really close people die to me besides you know grandparents when I was young mm -hmm. but like the grief that I felt was unlike anything that I that I had felt up until that point. And I feel like it was hugely important for my development because there was the mourning and grieving process. Right. I don't know if I would go through that in the same way if I was like, well, great, I'll just have a new baby in the mail. Well, it is a new, the same pet, but yeah. it's like, it is a different pet. Yeah. You know? It doesn't have the memories that it shared with you. It's, right. So then at that point, then what's the point? The if point it's not would the be, same? I guess it's like, okay, I loved this dog so much. It yeah. had the best personality. I can't find another dog who has that temperament and personality. Right. You know, it's like you get a do over almost yeah. in raising it. Yeah. So like, if you're like, oh, I made a mistake when I raised him the first time. Totally. Let me try it this way this time and see how he's different. Definitely. Like, I, you know, I'm not at all going to try to get on any kind of high horse and say that I wouldn't do that. But my instinct tells me that that's a, like a slippery slope just in terms of how we deal with grief. Yeah. And then you have the question of like, oh, my child Animal. died. Yeah, yeah, my per yeah, person. Do I need a new best friend? Yeah. They do a lot of that in Black Mirror where it's like if yeah. you could basically program this android well, with the same personality. I mean, it's similar, but. It's funny. We almost did a different movie than Adventures of Pluto Nash this week, which is The Sixth Day oh, yeah. with Arnold Schwarzenegger. And in that, it starts with they have pet cloning services and he goes to like get the pet for his daughter and he's like I don't know I mean this seems like a bad idea yeah for my daughter's development to totally. actually like be able to clone your pet and do that again but right now total cost of a dog cloning fifty thousand dollars that's outrageous that you, is like chump change to some people in the world it is you pay it in two equal installments cat cloning is twenty five thousand dollars right so it's real right now you can clone your cat man this it kind of freaks me out well, yeah. also, but also, I think it goes to the bigger thing for me, too, of being like, there's so many delightful animals without homes that desperately need homes that right. are alive. And right. then it's like, because you couldn't get over your fucking animal. You know, I right, like right. that's the judgy part of me, because it's like, I loved baby. I cried about her harder than I've ever cried. But then it's like, now I'm 30 and I'm like, well, mm. I have another animal, you know? Yeah, it's a real gray area. I don't yeah. think that I would do that for my own family. Yeah. I think that, I don't know, if I were, like, older and alone and my yeah. only dog passed away and, like, I totally. was like, that was mine and I want that same dog back and, right. like, I have the money to spend. and But just setting the precedent because if that's where we're at now, we're going to get to the point where you can clone human beings and it's like, where does that lead yeah. to this, like... <laughs> Well, when I was reading about this, I told this to a friend of mine and he was like, oh, so there definitely has been a cloned human, right? Like, based on just right. the fact that this is, it's like, it must have happened, yeah. but not no, officially. No, I, I don't think so, because it's like, even when we're talking about freezing organs and stuff, it's way too complicated for, like, a human brain. Or yeah. Whatever. So I feel like people are always that, that final frontier. And right. people are going to be, like, weird, like, what are we doing? Are we playing God? That's right. always when people, like, jump into yes, the mix. Yes, we are playing God. And that's correct. We've been doing it for a long time now. <laughs> So early on, early on, I don't remember when it happens, but at some point, Jay Moore gets 
battery acid poured down his throat. Yeah, Remember they that? have like a canister of battery acid. <laughs> I like think it you actually have like says battery acid on the On thing. the little canister. It's like, who keeps around hmm, What on can the shelf? I do to really threaten him? Ah. Yeah, and it's like, uh, it's got like a top on it. Like you pour battery acid into it. You're like, that's battery acid is usually like inside the battery. Right. That's how it's manufactured <laughs> yeah. that way. So I was just looking into, I was like, what the fuck is battery acid anyway? Well, it could refer to a few different things, but it generally refers to the lead acid battery. That's what's still used in, in car batteries of today. So even back in 1859, this French physicist, Gaston Planté, that's how you pronounce it. Right, Plante. I don't know. Plante? <laughs> he invented this lead acid battery that could be recharged by passing a reverse current through it. So the early model consisted of this like spiral roll of two sheets of lead, one that was positively charged, one that's negatively charged. And then in between it is just separated by linen cloth. And then all of that is immersed into a glass jar of sulfuric acid solution. Mm. So the anode, which is the positively charged sheet of lead, released electrons to the other lead cathode, which consumes those electrons, and that's how a current is produced. So it goes through the acid Correct. from one plate to the other. Exactly. And the and acid is just like a good conductive material yeah, for it to go through. Yeah, that's the electrolyte. Oh, yeah. Gatorade. So this exactly. So this first was used to power the lights and train carriages while stopped at a station. It was just like enough of a current to keep it there while you're there, and oh. then you you keep going. So then later improvements included like a gel lattice into which lead oxide paste was pressed, and that created the plates. And like since then, they've just gotten better and better from there. Like gel electrolyte batteries date back from 1930s. So instead of using a straight up liquid, you can use a gel and that makes it so that you can like store the batteries in different positions and not worry about leakage. Oh. So just like making things smarter, but it's essentially the same formula. It's crazy to think that it hasn't in in terms of just like concept hasn't changed that much since even then. You know, lead acid batteries in cars today are 30 to 50% sulfuric acid in water. That acid separates two lead plates. It's still the same thing, one <laughs> positive, one negative charge. When the battery is being used or discharged, electrons move from the negatively charged lead plate to the positively charged plate then when the battery is like fully charged the negative plate is lead the electrolyte which is the goo is concentrated sulfuric acid and the positive plate is lead dioxide so it's like just these crazy like <laughs> reactions and then like reverse reactions mm -hmm. and that's how the the battery is able to like discharge and recharge over and over again now <laughs> uh, eventually you'll get to the point where the battery can't be recharged anymore mm -hmm. and that the two lead plates uh, it's like lead sulfate on both and then it's just water in the center so at some so point, like the electrons time, are like, yeah, like the electrons have been moved and passed and gone mm -hmm. so much that at a certain point, it's like both plates are the same and then there's just water in the middle. Then yeah. it's like, nope, well, no I, more battery for I you. I know there used to be a thing and like newer technology is really done through software is what stopped this. But like it used to be that if you had a rechargeable battery and you used it down to 50% and then recharged it again, mm -hmm. it would have much less of an overall charge because you're not actually depleting the battery right. all the way down to the bottom well and yeah. so it would recommend for you to once a month completely discharge the battery and then recharge it fully and that actually allows you to extend the battery life totally in what your phone does now through software is it'll actually automatically discharge continuously down the line so if you only use 50% of your battery and then you recharge it, the next 50% that you use is the bottom 50%. But it's interesting that a rechargeable battery loses its ability to charge over a period of time. Yeah. And that's why like people are like, why is my battery on my phone suddenly, Apple, you released a new yeah. software and, and now I, my phone sucks. It's like, no, your battery is like three years old. Yeah, dude, exactly. Well, especially in something big as a fucking car, you know? Absolutely. Even though the lead acid batteries, we mostly think about, about them with regards to automotives. It's these large format lead acid designs are used for 
storage and like backups, power supplies, and cell phone towers and hospitals That's and like cool. standalone power systems. So, yeah. Batteries. Yeah. But Powering you, the you, world. You probably still don't want it poured down your throat. Yeah, so <laughs> that's one area where Pluto was right. So first of all, moon gravity is about 16.6% of Earth's. And that's depicted terribly in this movie. Mm-hmm. They're you like, said 16.6%? Mm-hmm. Cool. It's about a sixth of what we have mm-hmm. here. Like in the movie, they're like jumping up mountains and shit and then like falling and then like lightly, gently being let out onto the ground. It's like they it's don't... exactly ex- what you would imagine in your childhood fantasy. Right. And fuck this movie's portrayal of gravity. <laughs> because <laughs> none of that is right. <laughs> well, let, let me talk about artificial gravity because okay. in the movie, artificial gravity is shown as like an area you walk into like you're entering the artificial gravity area right. this is gonna feel like earth air mm-hmm. this shit's impossible right you cannot change the amount of gravity on a patch of earth gravity pulls through space time mm-hmm. like you can't block it with a wall it's possible maybe someday thousands of years from now we'd understand how to manipulate gravitons mm-hmm. but we literally were only able to measure gravitons as even existing last year right for the first time Let's just say that's a long ways away. And I mean, even string theory predicts that gravity and electromagnetism unify in hidden dimensions and that extremely short photons can enter those dimensions. So whenever I understand what the fuck that means, (laughs) maybe uh, we'll be able to do artificial gravity then when we actually understand what the fuck that sentence means. Okay, so what's the reverse of that? Like like if you are recreating what it would be like to walk on the moon, what do they do there? Is it just fucking like, you know, space camps and shit? Don't they have it? They have wires. Oh, it's wires. It's just wires. Oh. Yeah, you're in a harness. What do they do? Yeah, I did that as a kid. To, Just to make you feel what it would feel like? Yeah, oh, where it's okay. like it's like you press off the ground and you're a sixth the weight that you really are. Interesting. And so <laughs> you have fun that way. Yeah. <laughs> but what is possible is building like a rotating space station, kind of like in 2001 A Space Odyssey, mm-hmm. and you spin it so that centripetal forces create artificial gravity. And NASA actually did an experiment with this in the 60s during the Gemini missions where they attached a 36-meter tether from a Gemini capsule to a large probe and then spun them. Oh, okay. And the astronauts experienced 0.0005% of gravity, which they didn't actually feel, but they did observe objects moving towards the, quote, floor of the capsule. Right. And there's actually a proposed mission now called Tempo 3, where two halves of a spacecraft are connected by a tether, and they're going to rotate them to test the possibility of simulating gravity on a mission to Mars. Right. Okay. Now, building a space station that could rotate like this and, and actually create artificial gravity is going to be insanely expensive and incredibly difficult because it has to be huge. Right. Like, to recreate gravitational conditions of Earth on something the size of the International Space Station, it would have to rotate once every 10 seconds. So that would be dizzying for yeah. and horrible for anybody inside. And because it's small, your head is rotating at a slower rate than your feet. Ugh. So all the blood will rush down to your feet, which is experiencing more gravity than your head. Ew. And if you, like, move or bend down or something, your inner ear is going to be like, Absolutely. what? I know. I'm just thinking about fucking, we mentioned Tilt-A-Whirl before. Like, <laughs> exactly. that kind of shit. I'm just like, exactly. I don't need any blood being rushed from here to there that quickly. <laughs> That's crazy. But it's possible. And, like, we don't notice that same effect, which is here on Earth. But we don't notice it because the Earth is so big and we were born with this experience. Yeah. So it's like, Absolutely. we're totally well, used to it. Just remind me, in the movie, was it kind of like a reverse theme park? 
Or was it just a room? No, in the movie, they're like, you're entering the city limits. Prepare for artificial gravity. Gotcha, right. Okay. It w- yeah, they, they were just like, we need to explain this away so that the rest of the movie can be yeah, just normal. That way we don't have everything. We don't <laughs> have to have about. everything in moon gravity. We'll just explain that most of the time there's All right, no moon guys, gravity. We're entering back into when Eddie Murphy's career was <laughs> super good. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. Well, building a space station big enough that this would actually work, we might literally not have enough aluminum on the Earth to build it. On the Earth? On the Earth. Like, there might just not be enough metal to build something that big. I have a few rolls of foil. Would that help? (laughs) Every little bit helps. Wow, that's crazy. You would need that much. How big is the International Space Station? Do you have any idea? The space station is 239 feet by 356 feet. Oh. So it's not that big. I right. mean, there's only six people on it at a given time. Right. What might make sense is a medium-sized space station that simulates like half gravity or two-thirds gravity yeah. so that you still get the benefit of it and don't have to spin as fast and right. not have to build like an Earth-sized yeah, space station. Yeah, totally. That's interesting. So that's how artificial gravity can happen. You can't enter a room right. and have that room be more gravity than something, the rest of the Earth. Something told me that that was a bit of a stretch. <laughs> This also indicates that there's like mining on the moon and mining in space. And there's a company now called Planetary Resources, which is backed by James Cameron and Larry Page. Of course. Wait, who's Larry Page? He's the founder of Google. Ah, of course. So, of course, Cameron's involved. Right. He's actually an yeah, advisor. Like, Duh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're planning on mining near-Earth asteroids to send rare materials back to Earth to sell and in the process be able to further man's ability to, for space travel. Right. Because the real bottleneck in being able to mine asteroids is the cost per pound to launch something into orbit exactly. from Earth. And so as like all these different companies are just like, can we get the cost per pound down? Oh, this reminds me of when we were talking about Moon Yeah, Creek. Lunar Crete using the resources in situ on resource utilization. It's called right. Yeah, instead of building structures on the moon with Earth materials mm. that you have to like shoot up there, you could just use moon materials. Yeah, I mean, mostly what they want to mine is water from asteroids right. because then they would be able to send that to the International Space Station. And water has so many uses in space, right. but the problem is it's so heavy that getting it from Earth into space is very difficult yeah. and expensive. But I want that be for purposes of like. Being able to test it for like, what, what kind of uses? Well, for one, drinking and growing plants. Uh-huh. But more than that, water is incredibly good at stopping radiation, cosmic oh. radiation. So they want to line the walls of spacecraft with water, like big tanks of water. Yeah. And then it would actually shield the astronauts inside from cosmic rays. Oh, cool. That's awesome. Well, let me talk about one interesting possible method for mining on asteroids. Because they believe that a lot of asteroids have like a high metal content that's covered in like loose grains on the surface of the asteroid. So one of the ideas is you'd be able to collect that material using a magnet that flies nearby. So you don't have to actually like land on the asteroid and drill and stuff. You just kind of like drag a magnet nearby it. Great. And a bunch of metal shoots off it. of it. And there you go. <laughs> go sell that back on Earth, baby. Cameron, come on. <laughs> come on, We're James. We're counting on you. Raise the bar into space. The oxygen bar? Oh, oh. oh we my found God. it. We found we- the segue. <laughs> All right. Uh, There's not an actual oxygen bar to raise. It's not like a thing, but there are many oxygen bars in the United States. Like drinking type bars. Exactly. Yeah. But for oxygen. Let me explain. (laughs) Please do. Let's back up a little bit to Pluto Nash. They have these oxygen bars, which they started becoming like pretty popular around that time, kind of. I feel like I've seen them in the mall. Oh, yeah. So, guys, just to give you some context here, an oxygen bar is just an establishment that sells oxygen for recreational use. You might be saying to yourself, 
why the fuck would you do that? We breathe oxygen. Why would you do that? Well, let's talk about it. So let's jump back all the way to 1776. Thomas Henry, he was a famous apothecary and fellow of the Royal Society of England. He kind of tongue-in-cheekly joked that the newly discovered deflogistigated air, which is now called oxygen... Oh, d- whoa. I know. That tells you a whole... I was like, they needed to limit... What does deflogisticated mean? Why, uh, we took out all the other shit that wasn't oxygen from the air. Look up deflogisticated. De- deprived of phlogiston? <laughs> oxygen was originally called deflogisticated air by Joseph Priestley. Wow. Okay, I just did that in dictionary search, guys. Anyway, in- so before oxygen, they called it deflogisticated air. That's wow. fucking All crazy. Right. Anyway, so Th- Thomas Henry was saying that this thing that just appeared might become, quote, as fashionable as French wine at the fashionable taverns. <laughs> we get it. It's pretty fashionable. Another early reference is found in Jules Verne's 1870 novel, Around the Moon. Verne states, quote, Do you know, my friends, that a curious establishment might be founded with rooms of oxygen where people whose system is weakened could for a few hours live a more active life? Fancy parties where the room was saturated with this heroic fluid theaters where it should be kept at high pressure what passion in the souls of the actors and spectators what a fire what enthusiasm (laughs) (sighs) so that was a thing even back then however it took until all the way until 1996 when the 1996 i always you always do it 1996 it's the sexiest year of (laughs) 1770 sex Oh, God. I wish I was born in 1986, but unfortunately it was 87. The first official oxygen bar, which was called the O2 Spa Bar, opened in Toronto in 1996. This was modeled after the air stations in polluted downtown Tokyo and Beijing. Did you even know that they had... It makes sense, right? air stations? Yeah. They're like, you want to actually breathe fresh air that's not polluted? Step into the station. Is it like the opposite of a smoking room? Probably. I guess if you're like, a city is just covered in pollution, then you're like, I need some air. But does the room have like filters on it? I didn't go into the Tokyo and Beijing air stations. I was too busy looking into the like hip and trendy fucking oxygen bar phenomenon. So anyway, first one, 1996. Then the trend continues in North America. By the late 90s, bars were in New York, California, Florida, Las Vegas, the like. They now can even be found in like different nightclubs, fucking salons, health clubs, yoga studios, airports, coffee houses. Like it's gone to some crazy spots Uh tanning salons it's nuts now most oxygen bars use either oxygen extracted out of the air in the bar or something called aviators breathing oxygen this Mm. this abo is a medical grade oxygen intended for commercial or private aircraft use this does differ from like actual medical issue machines but it's similar right so that's a step like below what's yeah, used in not like hospitals if, like somebody that has emphysema or something right, like right. like the hospitals use but okay. it, it is generally used for more commercial purposes well i've never been to an oxygen bar but i did when i was becoming an emt get to breathe 100 percent oxygen because like you're kind of testing on each other mm-hmm. all the students and so you get like lightheaded it's, yeah it's an interesting experience totally and I, that's absolutely what the appeal has been mm. but okay so How it even works is like these oxygen bars, they generally use a a concentrator which filters out all the nitrogen and other gases in the air that are circulating in the room. And then it... Phlogastination or whatever. Yeah, the phlogastinated air or whatever. (laughs) And then it's supposed to deliver this like concentrated oxygen about 95% pure. It's supposed to be above the Mm. normal atmospheric content, which is about Mm 20.9%. And you do this through a fucking hose, like through through the thing that you do in the hospital. Nasal cannula. Yeah, the cannula. Mm. Is that what it's called? Cannula? Nasal cannula. Okay. And then... so the 
these like guests at an oxygen bar, they pay like a dollar per minute. This experience supposed to, <laughs> is supposed to last anywhere from like a few minutes to up to 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Now, yes, you said the, the lightheadedness thing, but the health benefits that these people claim, alternative medicine has said that the human body is very oxygen deprived and that oxygen will remove toxins and could even potentially cure cancer. Mm. So proponents of the oxygen bar say that it can enhance well-being. It can, you know, strengthen the immune system, like get you over hangovers and headaches mm. and all the mm-hmm. things because oxygen so great and your body needs it. Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. The first issue here is, of course, that there's no long-term, well-controlled scientific studies that have confirmed any of these claims. Uh The FDA, they basically say that any oxygen used by people for breathing and administered by another person is a prescription drug. But, of course, like, (laughs) the states are left to determine how to hand out those licenses. Mm. So a lot of the times it's just up to the states whether or not they'll, like, let you do it with or without a prescription. So it's, like, not particularly regulated. Well, it sounds like it's one of those things almost like chiropractors where it's, like, they claim that there's so much more going on, but really it just feels good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like vitamins and supplements that you're not quite sure if it's just like placebo effect, essentially. And like one of the biggest criticisms, even just in them peddling it as being so pure oxygen, blah, 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 is that like while you have the hose in your nose, you're still like inhaling the other air outside of Mm -hmm. what you're inhaling, right? So that decreases the concentration. But then also they fucking use these like aroma oils and shit. So that decreases the the concentration even further. It's like the customer ends up only getting like 50% oxygen, you know, (laughs) which is still more certainly. More than the regular air. Yes, but 50% is more than like 21%, but it's still not that like pure unadulterated O2, motherfuckers. (laughs) Are any of these bars titled Up Your Nose with a Rubber Hose? (laughs) Let's open that bar. Let's open the <laughs> That's bar. That's going to be our new oxygen bar. Be. Oh, my God, I would. <laughs> Holy shit. Okay, let's get to some more debunking here. Of All like, right. I Because part of me is like, yeah, man, get that oxygen up that fucking nose here. Yeah, 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 there you go. Apparently, people <laughs> with healthy lungs don't need additional oxygen because Uh, like we've been evolving for millions of years in an atmosphere that's about 21% oxygen. At least it has been for the last 65 million years. Right, because you Mm -hmm. said before we had the like super bugs that it's because the oxygen in the air was... A lot higher content before the asteroid that killed the dinosaurs. But in modern human history it's about 21% oxygen. So like our blood that's exiting our lungs it already has about 97% of the oxygen attached to hemoglobin that it could even possibly carry. We're good. We're efficient with that shit. for, For like healthy people it's essentially like you're not doing anything Mm -hmm. but people with like you know pulmonary diseases yeah on the other hand that could potentially be a problem well like emphysema as i understand it is just literally scar tissue that's formed on your lungs and so your lungs is made up of these things called alveoli Mm -hmm. that take oxygen out of the air and turn it into blood or at least infuse the, the blood with it right and then as you're coughing and smoking, those turn into scar tissue, which can no longer take oxygen in. And so you have fewer and fewer alveolar sacs right. in your lungs. And then at a certain point, you're literally not able to get enough oxygen to feed your blood. Exactly. I mean, I mean, that's a really great point. Same with people with like, you know, asthma, for example, like their medical oxygen has to be regulated pretty, mm-hmm. pretty intensely. So like not only breathing more oxygen than you need that could potentially have you like stop breathing. Also, mm. like I was saying with these fucking oils that they add or like the flavor aroma bullshit. So so this is produced by bubbling oxygen through bottles containing aromatic solutions and then pumping the, the scent through the nose into the nostrils. Mm. Now, some bars use oil-free, like, food-grade particles for this kind of thing, but a lot of them use these aroma oils. So fucking inhaling oil 
is could like lead to crazy inflammation of your lungs and lead to infections and stuff. So, so because it's not regulated, it gets dangerous. Yeah, exactly. And that that also comes in terms of like if they're managing their fucking oxygen machines well, they mm-hmm. use these like clay filters that can build up. Oh some God. goo and you know and then you're like gonna... at a bar where oxygen bar yeah where like the pipes on the kegs are all fucked up yeah. and brassy and... or you have like weird bacteria if you're in yeah if you're, there's like booze and like weird gross pub food and like probably ejaculate somewhere <laughs> like somewhere. who knows like and and also let's let's not forget that like you know oxygen itself doesn't burn but it is definitely like a combustion yeah uh, it's like, a like well, it's a it's a flame accelerant it is the reason that apollo one was such a fire disaster ah you're gonna explain that well what happened was they used to have the astronauts in a 100 percent oxygen environment in order to do a certain test on earth they had to increase the pressure inside to mimic the difference in pressure outside the spacecraft to the inside right, which right, right. in space outside there's no pressure whereas on earth outside there's a lot of pressure yeah. and so they had to have a a huge amount of pressure with a high oxygen environment and at a certain point if there's a spark introduced velcro which there was tons of velcro all over it mm-hmm. would burst into flames right 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 and right. so because of the pressure they also had an inward opening hatch and so they couldn't open the door of the hatch of Apollo oh, 1 as shit. the fire was going. And so the three astronauts died in a test that was a couple of days before the actual flight. And it all had to do with a pure oxygen environment. Right. And there was actually an interesting kind of story where the Russians had had a situation like this happen in the early 60s. And if they had been a little more open, if we had all been talking to each other about our lessons, maybe the Apollo 1 disaster would have happened differently. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, if only we were listening to each other. Right. But another thing for the Apollo 1 fire is like it exposed a huge number of flaws in the Apollo capsule that yeah. were then allowed us to actually go land on the moon. Right. Okay. So, well, progress. Yeah. Progress is great. That's, yeah. that's nice. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That was a well, s- side dive. Cause like this isn't a pure oxygen environment. Right. Like we were saying, because the concentration has lost so much, we're talking mm. like maybe 50%, but still it's like, it's one thing if it's in a fucking like tanning salon or a health spa, but mm. if they're in bars and nightclubs that have smoking, yeah. although now, you know, you can't really smoke anywhere, but like anywhere cool where you can actually <laughs> smoke. Yeah. You guys, if you're going someplace it could potentially cool. be a problem. Yeah. The, the one exception could be like athletes that are performing at a higher altitude they could mm. use some more oxygen because they get short of breath and right, that kind of thing right. but it sounds to me like this is one of the biggest like placebo effects and could potentially be an issue for for people with with like pulmonary diseases well it makes sense to me it's funny because there's a similar kind of thing where it's like an iv bar mm-hmm. where I've, I've done this I've done this oh, and it's wow. in Vegas. If you're like insanely hungover, you can go there and you get a saline solution with like that's got like some anti-nausea right. medication in it and you hook it up to your veins and then it'll rehydrate you faster than you ever could. And so one of the things that I remember from being an EMT was one time I came in and the paramedic was had hooked himself up to an IV. And this, by the way, is highly illegal mm-hmm. that he did this. And I was asking him, like, why are you hooked up to the IV? And he's like, it's the only real hangover cure out there. Of course they would fucking do it in Vegas. Sick motherfuckers. <laughs> well, it's like, if you're in Vegas, you get fucked up, and then, like, the next day, it's like you still want to yeah, go out and fuck around with OJ your family. Yeah, you have some OJ and some breakfast like anybody else. Fuck. Hook it to your veins, Joya. <laughs> Weird Science. 
So in the movie, they go to this body modification place where there's like a mirror that shows them what they will look like after their surgery yeah. so that they can get a sense before they're actually like going under the knife. Right. And Eddie Murphy's character wants Rosario Dawson's tits to be larger. Yeah. It's a whole real hilarious scene. <laughs> real hilarious. The comedy is flying <laughs> off the screen. <laughs> So this shit's real with like apps and stuff because mm-hmm. there was that face app thing recently yes. that took the world by storm. Oh my so- god, my brother and I switched faces and it was terrifying <laughs> because I am my brother's face. Oh, I saw face. that. I, oh god, it's it looked really exactly terrifying. Like it was, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, there's like a bunch of apps that do this. They have names like Eye Augment or Face Touch Up, okay, or Real Self which is the most disgusting name for one of these, right. I think. This is who you really are deep down under all your ugly face. Right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then you apply different morphing effects to change your look to exactly how you want. And then you would go yeah. into a plastic surgeon and be like, this, please. You know what's funny? I think back like early on fucking Clueless. Remember, <laughs> yeah. remember that delightful Rob? Well, at Great the beginning movie. of the movie, she's even just like trying to decide what to wear. And mm-hmm. she like has the computer program that's like, what if I put this top with that? Like, This is so great that you specifically yeah. referenced that. Because yeah. the next thing I wanted to talk about was the Echo Show. Oh, is that what? Oh. So this is a, a new thing from Amazon. Because they have the Echo, which is that like speaker device yeah, yeah. where you yell to it. Alexa, <laughs> hey, everybody <laughs> who has one. Sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> but Alexa, order more toilet paper. Yeah, sorry, guys. So they have a new thing called the Echo Show, which has a camera and a display in it. And one of the uses that it's advertised is basically that from Clueless, where it will display on top of you what your clothes will be so that you get like a sense of what you're going to look like before you put it on. Right. And so like instead of like putting on a bunch of outfits, we'll be like, no, nah, this isn't right today. Yes. Yeah, the Echo the Show will be like, nightmare. try this one. And then I mean, you'd be like, and then it can also immediately take a picture of you once you're dressed. Right. Post that to Instagram because you look fabulous. Because you just look ready to go. Mm-hmm. I really honestly don't have any issue with these with these apps. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like we're we're so far past the like should you modify your body or not kind of thing. You might as well have some fucking idea of what you're going to look like before. One of the arguments against it is that like it gives you the sense that going under the knife is no big deal. Sure. When it's actually a really serious surgery. That goes well beyond having an app that shows you what you're going to look like. Absolutely. You know what I mean? It's like, wait, we're drawing the line here? Yeah. Like like, any surgery. Yeah. Like there's (laughs) so many steps before somebody actually decides to, to do that. Yeah. But the reality is, is like they're making those procedures less and less invasive you yeah. know what i mean like i mean yeah if you have to get a tit job you still have to get yourself cut open and mm-hmm. put some but it's like the weird shit where you can go in in an afternoon and have your face botoxed and all this shit yeah. it's, it's wild injections and stuff yeah. like that but that kind of stuff now you but, can pick out your look beforehand on oh, your phone alicia silverstone really set it up for us Okay, so I don't remember even what prompted me. There was a lot of like fake looking shit and a lot of what looked like people that were on wires being like flying around. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have any idea why I have this prompt? Well, they were on the moon gravity and their moon gravity Uh, was bullshit. Of course, the moon (laughs) gravity. Coming back to the idea that moon gravity and Pluto Nash is bullshit. They were on wires. Yeah, like people are hanging from wires and I just, you know, I was asking myself, how do they fucking get rid of those wires these days in movies? Mm-hmm. It's so sophisticated. You know, back in the day, you'd be like, well, I see the string. Oh, right, right. and that would be like, you know, points for you. Right. Get a lot of street cred for being able to point it out. I've seen Plan 9 from Outer Space, and I noticed all of it. Exactly. How first, cool am I? First, first to notice. 
Well, but so obviously, like, during the filming process, that's where a lot of this you can kind of avoid, whether it's just, like, camera angles or just trying to, like, camouflage and, like, not having hooks in the frame and that kind of shit. But I was reading about this subgenre of kung fu movies, which is called wire fu. Oh, my God. Have you heard of wire fu? I've never heard of it, but I know what it is inherently. You know exactly what it is, okay? It's it's a lot of Liu Kang kicking. Yeah, there's a a fucking crouching tiger, hidden dragon. That is all you have to say. It's where the stuntmen or the actor's skill is augmented with the use of wires and pulleys particularly for like fight scenes Mm -hmm. so that i'm like forever and always that's going to be the one yeah but so typically like a harness is hidden under the actor's costume and a cable and pulley system is attached to the harness and then the wires are just deleted digitally in Mm post-production so i was going through some of like the techniques for doing this like the first of which is you know a lot of times people do like we'll fix it in post we'll paint it out in post whatever (laughs) and it's literally like frame by frame hand painting over (laughs) the wire now of course you know, if it's if you have a scene where it's just like a glimmer of light, like one frame where you can see the the wire, then that's no big deal. But well, it, one frame within twenty four frames in a second, yeah, your eye is not going to be able to exactly. Catch that. But if you if you do notice it, and if you're having to do it frame by frame, it can become problematic because then the images start to look like they're boiling. Almost, oh. yeah. You know, the, and this is a. Huh. I'm talking like hand painting. I'm talking like because the paint itself is. Yeah, well, it's like the lack of of cohesion, and oh. it's like little by little. But eventually, you're gonna be like, "What's going on here?" <laughs> like, you'd have to be so fucking precise for it to not seem a little bit distorted. At mm-hmm. least it sounds like. So then there's something also called patching over the top, which is like finding a clean frame where there's no wire from before and then just essentially like superimposing it over the other one. They do this a lot. Then there's these crazy, gotta love computers, guys. There's these like (laughs) rotoscoping tools that are digital and in computer software. Now, rotoscoping is an animation technique that's used to trace over motion picture footage frame by frame when realistic action is required. This is early animation shit. So, like, let's picture a a horse galloping, right? Mm -hmm. Now, originally, back in the day, the movement of the horse was photographed, and it was a bunch of live still images that then were projected onto a glass panel and then redrawn frame by frame by the animator. That's how they, like, got that natural movement early on. Okay. So that machine is called a rotoscope. Rotoscope. Uh-huh. So even though computers replaced this and it's gotten a lot more advanced, they still call it rotoscoping because we got to own up to our history, guys. That's rotoscoping is like animation over real, real, real images. Yeah. So it's like Richard Linklater made a few movies, including Waking Life and A Scanner Darkly. And those are painted over actual footage that right, he had shot. Right. And so it has this really unique look, really surreal but performances it still looks very from an actor. Because, yeah. yeah, now that you say Scanner Darkly, I'm like, that is Keanu's face. Yeah, exactly. Or Polar Express, yeah, where yeah. it's done computer generated in that one, but it's Tom Hanks well, actually that, performing. I think, that I think is a nice little like missing link, like mm-hmm. where we can get, like the, the technology has gotten like so outrageously advanced now that I think gives people a good example of like, mm-hmm. you see how it's real. Yeah, it's, but there's it's, something about this animation that's more realistic than any yeah. other animation you've ever seen because I don't think did they they didn't do motion capture for Polar Express did they they did use live action motion capture but it was like they had actually filmed a lot of it with actors and then they painted over it so it's differently oh. done than modern motion capture yeah. where you're actually become a completely CG character right this is you with, with animation pain. over yeah, you exactly. interesting but they basically use these same techniques for you know removing things or you know if you have a scene that has a wire you want to like use a mat to you get rid of the it out. You wrote a scope the fuck out of it. I think why I brought this up is the fact that it's like how fucking complicated is this thing? Like <laughs> step by step to not just have something that looks like oh that looks like a gaping hole where a wire used to be. Mm-hmm. Now it's like so nuanced and subtle and like isn't 
isn't there at all because it's right. a fucking different frame altogether. <laughs> right. It's crazy. Like, I don't know. I just, I've never like looked into post-production that much. No wonder it takes like however many years to make movies. Well, it really wasn't until like the late 90s that they were using this technology to basically remove wires and pads. And it used to be that you had to like frame out the pad that the actor yeah. was going to fall onto during the stunt. Right. And now you can have him slam into the ground and you just digitally remove the, the pad. and Totally. They can eliminate 80% of the wire and then 20% of the wire. The mm -hmm. person has to come in and be like, you missed mm -hmm. it, computer. Because well, also now animators know how to create something that looks like it's living. Yeah. Where I feel like at the time they were like, how do I draw a horse that Let oh, me yeah. look at an actual horse galloping and then yeah. I'll figure this out. Totally. Oof. Filmmaking, guys. I'm yeah. I'm probably not going to ever be a, a wire eraser, but... I thought it was cool. Yeah. Wire erasers. <laughs> the sequel to Eraser. <laughs> Yikes. So in this movie, Peter Boyle, he gets a pizza out of like a dispenser or something. And it's ridiculous. But then I saw that Ohio's Xavier University installed a pizza ATM on campus. What? So it serves hot pizza 24 hours a day at the touch of a button. $9 a pop for a full 12-inch personal pizza. You choose the toppings on a touch screen, hit a button, and in three minutes, bam, you've got hot pizza dispensed out of a pizza slot. <laughs> 70 pizzas are stored in the ATM, so they got to refill it pretty regularly. And that the word is the pizza's pretty good. I have, like, severe anxiety <laughs> about this idea. <laughs> well, if you think about it, like, if you go to Domino's, I don't know if you've ever seen them making the pizza, but they just, like, drop a frozen pizza on a conveyor belt, and then when it comes out the other side, they serve it to you. I don't ever think that Domino's is where you start for your all standard right, right. of pizza. But, it, but for an automated system, I'm right. saying. No, I yes. But the reason, that's why, like, this, this, my feelings are so far removed because I'm like, you motherfucker. Like, I understand these people, if they're in the middle of nowhere, you don't right. have pizza. It's like, there's so many good fucking pizzas out there. Right. How well, this is dare like, you this let is it like get a college to student. It's 3 a.m. You're like, oh, what are they? Yeah, not you're a make garbage a human. You might as well have garbage food. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> no, I mean, I say that very honestly, having been a garbage person. In right. college, I ate, like, fucking pretzel rods with icing. Like, right. this it's is, not, I'm not saying that. It makes sense to me that it's on a college campus. Right. It's like, but it's also funny to me because I saw that in the movie, and I was like, this is so stupid. And then when I saw it on the college campus, I was like, I mean, it kind of makes sense. Right. I'm, exactly. I guess. I mean, I don't know. We have, like, vending machines in general, and yet it's like, because it's like, am I really that judgy between something that's fresh food, quote-unquote fresh right. food, versus, like, the chips that are just full of preservative? Like, that's yeah. not good either, just because it's able to be kept. I just... Or, like, the hot food at a 7-Eleven at 3 a.m., oh like, your big God. bites. and the scariest looking. Garbage, yeah. you know? Right. So I, th I think my issue is more with that just like garbage mm -hmm. food in general as opposed to how it's dispensed yeah <laughs> however yeah. you get your garbage food i don't care it's just like fucking. just know that it's garbage and that you're a garbage student. person if you <laughs> fucking eat this food you are you are <laughs> i've been a garbage person <laughs> so do you have any favorite lines i don't i don't think I was just, you know, I was every scene that a new person that I saw that I knew and I was like, ah, mm. you, how did you, but, but they were totally bamboozled because Eddie Murphy was doing well at that time. Yeah. He it was like, he couldn't do any wrong. Right. He, we're in you a really big wanted Eddie to Murphy be in there. movie. 
But my favorite thing was, so at one point he's like in a video chat or something like that. And if you look closely underneath Eddie Murphy's face, it says that Pluto Nash's email address is AOL at moononline.com. Let he that was, sink in. His email address was AOL at moononline.com. What are you talking like, about? What are you talking? They were like AOL? Yeah. Millennium references like, like internet. His email address is like who? Did, I feel like whoever wrote that or made that graphic or whatever has literally had not used email yet. Right. Is your issue that he wouldn't have that email? It's not Pluto Nash at moononline.com it's not AOL Pluto the dog at moononline you know it's not some like thing that it's AOL yeah it's it's an internet provider at another internet yeah. provider.com world at future.futurenet now should we get out of here before you tell your Joey Pants story yeah we should get should. out of here before you tell your what? Joey Pants story what we've been going on I know <laughs> Guys, right, I'm we'll going to save gonna, it for no, another time. No, then. we're not going to save it. You brought it up. All right, you all right, blew all right. the load. I'm not going to leave it. it alone. Let's do it. I'll condense this. All right. So early on in my post-college career, I somehow got this meeting with Joey Pants, Joe Pantoliano. How did that happen? I don't know. You can ask me. But I ended up in Jersey talking with Joey Pants about how to make it in the biz. And at one point, I told him, I was like, you know, I'm a 22-year-old kid being like, well, you know what? I just you know, I want to maintain my integrity. And he literally interrupted me and said, Fuck your integrity. Integrity. He said, he interrupted Actually, it me. It sounds like he would have said yeah. integrity. <laughs> exactly. His, his accent. He was like, if you can, you fuck your way to the middle. Oh, God. So, guys. His advice <laughs> to you was fuck your way to the middle? That's right. Not the top. Not the near top. The middle. Be- and then he followed it up by saying, <laughs> Gwyneth Paltrow blew Harvey Weinstein. So, so do that and you'll be like Gwyneth Paltrow? That's right. I, I was there for another like hour. He had to drive. <laughs> yeah. He had to drive me back to the Hoboken station, you know. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah, that was there was a lot more to that story. Luckily, I didn't I didn't I didn't listen to him. Yeah. I fucked my way right, <laughs> right to the to bottom. The bottom. <laughs> All right, guys. Have a great week. Please rate and review us on iTunes. Please do. You can find us at ohthatsathing.com on Facebook and Twitter and Insta. I'm at It's a Joy Mia on Twitter and Insta. I'm at Jeffrey Ekman. And we will see you guys next week for Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Oh, my God. We're going to have our first guest. Can you believe it? My brother, Dan, he's going to come on our show. So get ready for a voice that you won't be able to tell is different from my own. I was just going to say, I was like, (laughs) it's going to be tough, guys. But anyway, you don't have to be an expert to join this show. So join us for the next weeks. Oh, man. Bye. (laughs)